This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Jason Huang. Dr. Huang is Residency Program Director and Chair at Baylor Scott and White in Temple, Texas. Dr. Huang was kind enough to join us from Shanghai, China. Dr. Huang, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. So as you and I were talking before the podcast started, this program and Scott and White started about six years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about the new changes that have happened in the last six years since the inception of the program? Yeah, sure. I started as the chair of neurosurgery here uh, in 2014. So, and we started a residency program in 2015. A few things I've done is building up subspecialty neurosurgery programs, including uh, cerebrovascular surgery, including endovascular and uh, skull-based tumor, complex spine, uh, pediatric neurosurgery. So we've done a lot of work building up those programs and they create an optimal training environment for our residents. And we're very happy that we just graduated our first trainee Dr. Matt Robinson, uh, he did uh, info endovascular training. Now he's attending at Methodist Health System in Houston. So we're we're very pleased with what we've done uh, in the past few years. That's great. And as any program starts new, there are some growing pains that happen in terms of getting the surgical experience for residents, making sure that their training is well-rounded, and making sure all the surgical subspecialties are well-represented. Are there any subspecialties that you still feel that residents need any additional preparation on, or do you feel like that residents can graduate from the program today being pretty well-trained in all of the surgical disciplines? Uh, They are well-trained in all specialties from cranial to spine to peripheral nerve, we are still recruiting uh, epilepsy surgery. That's one area we do have DBS. So, so we have a small area that so we are working on. But for the most part, from the adult pediatrics uh, and, and the skull-based tumor, peripheral nerve, spine, we covered every area. And that's one of the things, you know, the fun part for program building as a chair is I want to make sure that resident gets trained in every areas. And we have not only exceeded the minimum requirement, but resident very well training all the areas that you know ABNS are looking at so we are very happy with the training program but we'll do better in the next several years you know that's really great to hear and the plus side about being a new program is that there are only one resident per year in terms of uh, enrollment so the residents that are currently there can really choose whatever cases they want to do can you also talk about what that means a little bit for the call schedule does that mean the residents are have a high, higher call burden or are there a lot of mid-level providers to help take care of some of that uh, no, we, we actually don't rely residents on the call schedule. Initially, when we only have two or three residents, we have PA taking call along with the residents. So now we have a full complement, um, and uh, they take Q4 calls. So right now, they don't take anything above Q4, and overall, the, the work-life balance is good, even for a small program. And we do have PA and other uh, APPs as uh, backup in case they are taking oral boards, uh, taking written boards, they're uh, doing other things, taking vacations, we would have other providers to cover their calls. So so Q4 call for the residents and and uh, overall there is not really not a call burden that residents feel uncomfortable. You know, that's really great to hear. Can you talk a little bit about the Scott and White Hospital itself? From my understanding, it's a level one trauma center, so I'm sure you guys get the full gamut of all neurosurgical emergencies and cases coming into your hospital? Sure, yeah. So the background of the health system first is we are the largest not-for-profit health system, Baylor Scott White uh, in Texas, 
has our own insurance and, and temple. Baylor Scott Medical Center Temple is one of the two flagship hospitals in the health system. We are the only location in Temple that has a training program. And this hospital we call Baylor Scott Medical Center Temple used to be called Scott White Memorial Hospital. It's a level one trauma center, 635 beds. It's also a comprehensive stroke center certified by, by joint commission and the patient get a good trauma experience, good endovascular experience, but not, not overburdened with trauma and uh, emergency cases. So I think that the balance to me, uh, being from uh, medical school Johns Hopkins and Penn and uh, my first attending job at Rochester, I think this place has a perfect combination of just enough trauma to get you to learn how to do it, but not overburdened with it. But then you get to do all the elective cases to really uh, train you to be a good neurosurgeon. That's really great. That balance is especially key. Can you talk about the research opportunities that are available for residents as well in your system? Yes, a system really supports outcome research, clinical research. I myself has a neuroscience research lab focusing on neurogeneration. We have Dr. Wu, NIH-funded lab in neuro-oncology. So, uh, and we have opportunities outside uh, Department of Neurosurgery. So a lot of uh, research opportunity, but clinical research is funded and supported by uh, the system, including outcome research. But I think really, you know, it's a small program. So resident has any ambition, uh, we can uh, set them up with opportunities at Texas A&M and uh, UT Austin. So we have a lot of opportunities outside the department. We can also work with the resident. So I think the one of the best part about small program is that you get a lot of individualized attention from the chair, from the faculty member, from the folk, uh, program director. So we can really tailor their uh, research training towards their own interest. Nice. That's great. One disadvantage of this year's uh, residency interview format, of course, is that the applicants can't go and visit every campus. Uh, And a lot of people may not have been to Temple, Texas. So for our residency applicants that may not have the chance to visit your campus, could you tell us a little bit about what Temple, Texas is like in about two minutes? Yes, yes. So um, for someone like me from East Coast, I uh, did my all my training in medical school and residency East Coast. So I came to Texas. I was a little bit unsure about Central Texas. Then I fell in love with this place. So Temple is right in the middle of Texas. We call it Central Texas. Uh, it is a beautiful area with a Belton Lake nearby. So water activity, sports, uh, people want to participate. Hiking is really available. But also, uh, it is located very close to all four major cities in Texas. We are one hour away from Austin, uh, driving two hours to Dallas on I-35, and then uh, two hours to San Antonio. And uh, if you drive three hours, you, you reach Houston. So right, all four major cities in, Houston, uh, in Texas are within driving distance. So very, very geographically convenient. And also a very family-friendly environment in Temple uh, and Belton area that all residents bought houses here, they raise a family here. That's great. Thank you again, Dr. Huang, for giving us uh, the rundown of your program. We appreciate you joining us uh, from across the world. Uh, you know, Hope all applicants have a chance to check out your program this upcoming cycle. Thank you so much. Well, JP, that was fantastic. I mean, we did our best to take our listeners through a whirlwind tour of programs in America and Canada. And and I wanna say we started this right after applications and interviews began, and we wanted to get it all buttoned up and out there before 
folks were really formulating their rank lists and stuff like that. So I think, you know, you and Vignesh in particular did a fantastic job of this. I mean, how many programs did you end up interviewing? You know, I was just crunching the numbers before we got on here to wrap everything up. And with today's posting, that'll be 66 total programs from North America that we were able to interview and post for our listeners, which, you know, shooting off the cuff here is roughly half of the programs. That's phenomenal. Yeah, my hat's off to you guys and especially to Vignesh who helped coordinate that with the program directors. And we heard so many new voices from around this continent, a lot of great, exciting energy, a lot of younger attendings who are now program directors and not so much like chair people. Um, and, and I want to ask you, JP, like how, how did you come away from, from talking to these folks and having these conversations? How did you come away thinking about maybe how training is in America and how, how your own training program fits in all this? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, we often talk about the benefits of doing the show and, you know, doing it in general. And what I always say is that I'm so interested in people. I love asking questions. And this show gives me an excuse to ask not just anyone questions, but ask luminaries in our field, in, in the field that I'm trying to join and be a part of, questions that in everyday life, I wouldn't have an excuse to do so. And oftentimes in this show, depending on the interview, those have been personal questions about things in people's personal lives, with their family, with disasters in their lives, with tragedies um, at work, you know, complications or bad turns in the hospital. But this series has been a little bit different because it's, I think, inherently and almost exclusively had such a positive spin on it. Everyone that we've talked to couldn't be more excited to speak to the next generation of neurosurgeons coming out to train. They couldn't be more excited to come out and talk about uh, the great aspects of their program. And I think the one thing that really stood out to me from everyone that we talked to across the country was that they all cared about the fit and the cohesion of the group of their residents and that everyone really, not just in a working sense, but in a global personal sense, gets along. And as someone who is smack dab in the middle of a seven-year residency myself just about, I can tell you how important that truly is. So I was glad to hear the program directors emphasize that. Yeah, and I, I got the sense that you really could get a feel of what the flavor of a program might be. For example, you know, we, we know they're the big name, powerhouse, high volume, urban research programs. And we, we, we get a feel for what their emphasis is. And then some of the smaller, more boutique, uh, more, more off the beaten path programs, I feel like they do a fantastic job of trying to um, nurture and bring up folks in more like a family type setting. And, and I think you, you get that feel even just by the personality of the program directors themselves, right? Some program directors maybe are going to be a little bit more task oriented, demanding, ask you to, to fulfill certain spe specific research or clinical goals. And others are more sort of interested in your overall well-being um, and, and your ability to just be a good doctor or, or an ethical human being. Yeah, and I think hats off to all the guests that we had on and the program directors we had on, because I think something that really stood out to me after all these interviews was the fact that they were just frankly honest about that. No one really tried to put on airs, and I never at least got the impression that they were trying to seem like the program they should be or that they wanted to look at. They really did just come on and lay their own personalities on the table and say, listen, here's what I'm like. 
here's what my res residency group is like, and here's the kind of person we want to come be a part of that group. And exactly as you said, depending on the setting or the type of program, there are inherently these differences, and that's okay. And no one tried to pretend that there weren't those differences. And I wonder, because obviously I'm on my way up in the field, but you have an encyclopedic knowledge of neurosurgeons and neurosurgical programs across the country. So I probably spent most of this series just learning names, learning places, learning about programs I had never even heard of. But I wonder from your perspective, since you kind of had the knowledge and the data already, what were your impressions having a chance to, or an excuse to just sit down and talk to a program director so many times back to back? Not talking about a name here or a program there in particular, but in terms of styles, what kind of conversations or I should say, what kinds of places did you enjoy having the opportunity to look a little bit more closely into from your perspective? Yeah, I, you know, I really enjoyed, uh, first of all, the diversity of voices. There are a lot of women uh, program directors, and I do think that there is, and this is, I don't want to sound sexist on this, but there is something very appealing about having someone who is a, a little bit less masculine in a traditional sense, a little less testosterone fueled to be the program director. I, I really got that sense with like Crystal Tomei uh, at Case Western Reserve. And, and I've known Crystal for a long time. And I, I can see how if, if you're training at a place like that with a highly supportive type of program director, how, how much better that could be if you're, if you're not just always on top of things and always going to be right and on time and, you know, good with cases and, and passing the boards and all that. But I, I would say that there has been a recent proliferation of programs and it's, it's sort of like the first time this has happened, I want to say in a long time. So for example, when I was in training till about eight years ago, mostly what was happening is programs were adding residents on. And that was because it was response to the work hours and trying to build big programs. So programs with one resident went to two and two went to three and some three went to four. And that was kind of the growth of residency at that phase. Now we're seeing all these new programs come out, like the one that you just had on, Baylor Scott and White and Geisinger, all these places that are not your necessarily traditional university model. And what I would say to the young people out there thinking about neurosurgery is, what I got out of this was that the programs all seem to be extremely high quality. And I stand hard by the fact that I trust our residency review committee, the RRC, to ensure extremely high quality products. And I don't think there are any bad neurosurgery programs out there, but I know that there are a lot of bad, and I should say bad meaning substandard, other specialty training programs, whether it be general surgery or whatnot. We know they're out there. There's like five general surgery programs in Miami. And there's only one South Florida program, which is us, really, University of Miami. And it's very different. So I would say that, you know, if you're looking at, at what you're going to do in terms of training, you can remain confident if you match, you're probably going to get outstanding training. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just harkens back, as I always love to repeat, when we had Dr. Steve Giannata on uh, to wrap up the first season of the show, when we had him on during this series to talk about USC, how he always talks about the fine filter that neurosurgical applicants have to pass through. And I think that, as you well point out, we do a good job within the field of passing our programs through that fine filter as well and, and holding us to that standard at all levels, from resident to administration and faculty and, and so on. Um, I think, you know, looking back on this whole series, obviously it was an interesting experience to get to ask these questions, to have a look at the programs. And 
honestly, I, I felt privileged and honored to be a vehicle to bring these programs in a more personal sense to the applicants that could only interview virtually this year. But kind of taking a broader look at what we did in this series, Dr. Wang, um, outside of this specific interview season, if you look back at, at the corpus of this series, it's almost like a little documentary. It's like a record, like a slice in time of here's this cross section of neurosurgical training programs in North America in 2021. And that record will be out there forever, not just for this interview season. And that really excites me looking to the future, in particular with what you were talking about, these newer programs, because some, some of these programs, they're just taking their first, second or third residence. And in 10, 20 years down the line, when they're robust and they've been graduating people for years and years, we have this little snapshot of time right when that residency was founded. And it'll really be fascinating to see where some of these programs go and compare it to this moment that we captured in time now at their outset. Well, I want to say part of the inspiration for this came from um, a, a, an, a, an issue of the Red Journal. The Red Journal is, of course, neurosurgery, which is the journal of the Congress of Neurosurgeons. And Micah Puzo, who's my mentor, was the editor of that journal for 24 years or 25 years. And before him was Ed, Ed Laws. And Ed Laws did a fantastic job as well. And Ed Laws had an issue where he basically highlighted all the training programs. And there was, this is before the internet age. This is in the, I think, 1991. And every program had like a paragraph and there was a description of it by the program chairman. There weren't program directors back then. They were just chairmen. And, um, the, and there were no chairwomen either back then. So they're all chairmen. And it would list like the number of spots available and you know where how you would apply. It was just before the internet age, so it's very different. And 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 that was a document, as you say, a living, you know, uh, wiki knowledge of of what is out there. And for the folks that are out there struggling to match, and it's a struggle no matter how good an applicant you are. I mean, I think that that what we've done here, what you and Vignesh did, is going to be a real service, and it's 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 evidenced by the amazing number of listens. But I also want to speak to the listeners who are interested in this, which which is that, you know, you guys have worked your whole lives uh, to hopefully pass this fine filter. Part of the inspiration of this podcast was to not ever have another doctor of death. And this has mm -hmm. been a response to that. And 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 JP, I, you know, maybe you can speak to our message to the applicants who've worked so hard hoping to become a neurosurgeon. Well, um, the only and best message I can have is. Uh, good Lord, if they let me in, you can make it too. <laughs> but um, uh, honestly, it is, of course, as everyone says, a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and prepare yourselves because despite every hurdle you've gone over to get to this point, that has been nothing but preparation for the real race that lies ahead, uh, which is seven years of uh, honestly the most taxing and difficult, but at the same time, rewarding, fulfilling, and enriching period of your life. Um, you know, I always talk with my friends and my co-residents about how up until this point, we've been perpetual students. Most of us go from school to school to school at various levels. And now finally, you, you still feel like a student sometimes. You are in training, but finally at this point, you're not just going to class and regurgitating information. You're learning a trade and you're, you're entering a guild and finally, at this point in your life, you can start to feel like somewhat of a grown up and that you're out of school and you're really out there starting on a career. And so however difficult or winding your road has been to this point, 
Um, trust that at this stage of the game, you have done your best. You've put yourself out there and the match will put you where you belong. And once you get on the other side of that doorway, prepare yourself for what's to come because it will be what you've earned. Yeah, I, I can't, uh, I can't uh, think of a better way to put it. As we wrap up this, uh, another series on our, our podcast, thank you for listening. If you have questions about this, look back at our earlier episodes. We, we're, we're over 200 episodes now, but there are many earlier episodes about how to match, how to rank, how to do well in your sub-eyes. Please send us email. We love getting your emails at uh, neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com. And good luck to all of you out there. 2020 is going to be an amazing year. Thanks. Good luck, everybody. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.